A merchant was travelling from his home in Mumbai, a city on the coast, to reach Kashmir, a mountainous region in the far north of India, renowned for its jewels and fine silks. Each night of this journey, he and some fellow merchants would stop to unpack their goods and rest at a roadside inn. Most evenings, the men would talk of the riches that they would find in Kashmir. But one evening, as the band of travelling were just entering the mountains, our merchant had an incredibly vivid dream. To him, this dream felt just as real as if he was awake. In this dream, the merchant got out of bed, left through the front door of the inn, and saw an enormous pale blue moon hanging in the night sky. He decided to walk in the direction of this moon and see where it would lead him. He tangled his way through the undergrowth, down the side of a rocky ravine, through a crystal clear river, and up the other side. For hours he walked in the direction of this moon, until he saw an old man dressed in brown robes approaching him. The old man pulled from his pocket the biggest diamond this merchant had ever seen. I mean, this diamond was the size of an ostrich egg and it was of the purest quality. Whoever owned this diamond would surely be one of the richest men in India. Slowly and without words, the old man took our merchant's hand, placed the diamond into it, turned around and walked away and our merchant was speechless. So as the sun arose and shone into our merchant's sleeping eyes, he woke up in his bed at the inn. What an intense dream, he thought. And he thought about this all day and all night, tossing and turning and unable to sleep, until he finally decided to get out of bed and to leave the inn this time for real. There, in front of him, the same pale blue moon hung in the night sky. Intrigued, our merchant followed it, just like in his dream. To his great surprise, he found that he was recognising the landscape. He went into the same ravine, crossed the same river. The whole thing felt very familiar to him. And lo and behold, he saw the same old man from his dream approaching him. The old man took his hand, placed into it the enormous diamond, and wordlessly left. A merchant called after him, Is this for real? Are you, are you just going to give this to me freely? The old man turned and nodded, and then kept on his way. And our merchant was over the moon, overnight, he had gone from being an ordinary man to being one of the richest people in India. He headed back to the inn to tell the others. You'll now be able to buy anything you could ever want. You'll never have to work for the rest of your life. Your life will be only joy from this moment onwards. But the merchant couldn't sleep that night. He tossed and turned until the sun rose, but his brain would not turn off. He decided that next night he would head out again, under the light of the pale blue moon, in search of the old man. 
he made his way down the rocky ravine, through the crystal clear river, and found the old man sitting, smiling by the side of the road. Have you come back for more? The old man asks. Our merchant shakes his head. His response, no. I want to know what it is that you have that you can give away such riches so freely. <clears throat> Think about that. I want to know what it is that you have that means you can give away such riches so freely. In the 21st century, it's become a cliche that money cannot buy happiness. Yet when people are asked what would most improve the quality of their lives, one of the most common answers in studies is always more money. There's still this very strong idea in our society that more is better. That kind of mentality does get to nearly all of us. But studies have shown again and again that beyond the money required for essential living, shelter, food, um, water, money has very little effect on our happiness levels. Our relationships, our sense of purpose and our health are far more important. The amount of time we spend outside in nature is far more important. All of the things that you do and learn with Pasquani are more important. So why as a society do we always feel like we need more? This problem is not unique to the 21st century. It is timeless. The ancient Stoic philosophers of ancient Greece and ancient Rome knew about this and they referred to it as hedonic adaptation. Hedonic meaning seeking of pleasure and adaptation meaning changing to meet your environment. The idea, put very simply, is that we become desensitised to the level of luxury at which we're living. We expect things to be as good as they are. We call this level of luxury and expectation our hedonic set point. Take the life situation of the average person six generations ago. Even if you were wealthy, it would have been pretty bleak by modern standards. It's quite likely that your great-great-great-grandmother could only have one or two baths each winter. Quite likely that she'd lost most of her teeth by the age of 30, and she might only have left her village a handful of times in her whole life. However, if you were to take the diary of your great-great-grandmother and compare it to your own, the likelihood is that she would have been more or less exactly as happy as you are. Her hedonic set point was much lower than yours. Her expectations were lower and she was satisfied with less. Right, so now we're going back in time and we're going to bring your great-great-great-grandmother to live with us in 2020. For her, a daily shower that pours out clean water would seem miraculous. Popping into the supermarket would be a mind-blowing experience. Toothpaste would be genuinely thrilling. And then we'll let her play on your iPhone for 10 minutes. 
What do you think is going to happen? However, the brain of your great-great-grandmother is subject to exactly the same genetic predilection for dissatisfaction as yours is. After a brief period of wonder and admiration, her expectations would soon catch up with her new living situation, and a new, higher hedonic set point would get made. This new life would soon be taken for granted, and she'd probably start complaining about exactly the same things that all of us do. Just imagine how she's going to feel when we send her back to her own time. With advertising and social media, collectively our hedonic set points are rising higher and higher and higher. Our expectations are ballooning and the answer cannot be to simply carry on acquiring more and more. When he was 28 years old, the American writer Henry David Thoreau quit his life as an academic and spent two years, two months and two days living in a ramshackle cabin he built in the woods, not far from Pasquani. In the opening chapter of Walden, the book chronicling his experience there, he explains his reasons for this abrupt change of life. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I think that Thoreau recognised that he lived in a world that was leading him away from a wise, authentic and conscious life, towards a shallow one, full of illusions. For me, Thoreau knew about this hedonic set point, and went to the woods to exercise liberation from it, and so to come to a better understanding of how to live well. There's this Buddhist maxim that states, wherever you go, there you are. And I think this is the best bit of advice I have ever been given. Wherever you go, there you are. And there's a couple of different ways to interpret it. The first is to emphasize there. Wherever you go, there you are. Your focus should be on the present in the place where you're at right now. And this idea is true, and it's really catching hold at the moment. People are starting to take note of being mindful. But there's a second, and I believe much more profound way of interpreting this. And that is to emphasize you. Wherever you go, there you are. It doesn't matter how many amazing things you surround yourself with, if you are someone who can't be grateful, who finds things to complain about, or who is always needing something to be different, to feel satisfied, you're going to have a really hard time enjoying yourself. But if you can become somebody who is grateful, who is happy to put others first, who doesn't mind sacrifice, and can take it well when things don't work out quite to plan, 
It doesn't matter what life throws your way, you're going to have a good time and people are going to want to spend time with you. The process of letting go of your expectations, of your ego, of material goods, and of the desperate need to be comfortable all of the time is a process that can be enormously liberating. And this can take a whole lifetime, but the first step is available to you right now. Practice gratitude. Practice putting others first. Practice sacrifice. And when things don't work out quite like you'd planned, practice humility and adaptability. As in all things, practice what you want to become. Think back to that question our merchant asked the old man. What is it that you have that means you can give away such riches so freely? Why do you think the old man found it so easy to give away his diamond? What really makes someone rich? I want to know what you all think in the comments below. Thank you all for your time and thank you so much for welcoming me into your community.